Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. It is Monday, September 13th, 2021. Coming to you a day late. I uh, was flying back from Florida yesterday and honestly just ran out of time to get this recorded. But we were able to wrap up the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship on Saturday uh, at Rancho Cordova, California, better known as Hangtown. And yeah, it's a track I've been to many, many times. Uh, I was not mad about missing this year's event really hot and yeah I've just I've been there enough and I leave for I leave for Italy on Wednesday to go to uh, the Sardinia MXGP round this upcoming weekend and then Motocross of Nations followed by that so I'll be in Italy all of next week so it was I was totally okay with not being at the race but I did enjoy it uh, being in Florida the races are really late the first moto didn't start till four o'clock East Coast time so it's uh, yeah kind of an, an evening event almost uh watching the race over there and it's been a long time since i've done that and i thought it kind of delivered like the racing was pretty good and i didn't expect much i thought it was going to be a really underwhelming day i thought jet lawrence would be able to cruise around and get it done no real drama and i also thought the 450 guys would most likely be mailing it in and i was pretty much wrong on both accounts i think especially the 250 class uh the 450 maybe I could talk my way into thinking I was somewhat correct, but the 250 class, suspense, drama, you know, championship implications, like everything you would want at a final round. And yeah, I just did, I didn't see that coming. So I, I will be very transparent about the fact that I was just wrong. I, I thought Jet Lawrence would handle the situation better than he did. I didn't think he would be nervous. I didn't think he would make mistakes or do anything silly like he did. And, and he just, he struggled. He crashed. He made really uncharacteristic bobbles. Even times he didn't go all the way down as far as a crash, he was making mistakes. And you could just tell he was nervous. It was really the first time this season or at any time, really, that I've seen him look nervous on the motorcycle and really show uh, or at least, you know, kind of have his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, but in the end, he got it done. Good for him. Uh, 18 years old, first Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship. One of, I would guess, what will be many to come. Certainly has that look to him. You never really know. Uh, you don't know what the future holds, right? Competition is only going to get tougher from here. But he also may get much better from here too, right? So can his acceleration and growth match up to what he's going to face long-term. You know, next year, a lot of the same guys, maybe a healthy Jeremy Martin, 
then you start talking about the 450 class, and that's a whole different ball game. But I think Jet will be ready for that task when he gets there. I, I think his maturity and things will all align to make him a serious threat when the time is right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, enjoy it for now. This is, you know, he's right on, right on track. He, he's on uh, the right timeline, I think. And, and that question has been tossed around with Jed is, is he ahead of schedule or not? And I actually agreed with Chad Reed, who they interviewed at Ironman. And he said, you know, I don't really think he's ahead of schedule. You know, on schedule is fair, but ahead of schedule, I wouldn't really, uh, really think. And I, I believe that the common theme out there is that he's ahead of schedule. I think that's a lot of people's take. And I think he's just doing what he's supposed to be doing. You know, win championships at 18 years old if, you know, if you're going to be that next level talent and a 450 multi-time champ in the future, I, I think winning 250 titles at 18 is right where you need to be. Totally fine, not early, not late, just what you're supposed to be doing. So great job for him. I hope he is uh, enjoying you know, Saturday night, I'm sure he doesn't probably drink alcohol, but whatever his way of celebrating, I hope he's doing that. I hope he gets to go on vacation somewhere and do whatever 18-year-olds want to do, right? Whatever his interests are, uh, because I think he's, he's earned it. You can tell he put in a ton of hard work. His fitness was there, and uh, yeah, that's what it's all about. Justin Cooper, I mean, he rode arguably the best race of his season at Hangtown. You know, unfortunately, the whole story for his season was Washougal. He left a championship on the side of the track on Horsepower Hill at Washougal. That, that's what I believe. If you look at the way the momentum was going, you look at the way Jet was struggling a little bit, everything turned with that crash at Washougal. We've come to find out that Justin Cooper barely rode uh, in between Washougal and Unadilla, which led to him suffering in the second motos, and that was the difference. You know, Jet caught fire, Justin Cooper really struggled, and until Hangtown, Justin Cooper really couldn't do anything to turn the tide, and that was the defining moment. Uh, there are lots of racing, right? It, it's, it's difficult sometimes to find where momentum shifts or when the, where the pendulum has swung the other way over the course of 24 motos. I don't believe it was that difficult this year. Um, you, could, you could also say the second moto at Unadilla was a telltale sign, but I believe the second moto at Unadilla was the result of the Washougal crash. I think Washougal caused the second moto at Unadilla. I think it caused the second moto at Bud's Creek. I think it caused the second moto at Ironman. Justin Cooper was just not as good in the second motos because he had a broken thumb or a severely injured thumb. And whether it was getting sore or whether he just couldn't practice as much and he was, you know, suffering and, and his fitness level was deteriorating in the second motos. However you want to define that is okay by me. All that really matters is the results were significantly worse in the second moto. And that, that is not arguable. Uh, you know, just it, the proof is simply there. And we can just take it at face value. We can take it right off the top and say, well, something was, a, was hindering the second motos, and that's why he lost his championship. And why was he suffering in the second motos? Because he crashed with two laps to go at Washougal trying to go for the win. That's just racing. It's part of it. I think Justin Cooper would probably agree with that, and Jet Lawrence would probably nod and say, yeah, that's, I mean, 
just everything felt different from the second moto at Washougal onwards. So that's kind of it for the 250s. We'll see, you know, how, what we learned this year, how that translates into next year. You know, these guys, especially if they don't race until the East Coast, they won't race till February. That's a really long time to improve, mature, you know, especially for the younger guys. They can get a lot better in five months. So I, I like to try to take mental notes of where guys were and things I saw and characteristics in their racecraft and all those things and then see what's changed when, when they show up in January. It, you know, February being the longer case, but even at Anaheim, I think a lot of things can change between now and then. So just watch for that. There were a lot of injuries in 250 class, a lot of guys underperformed. You know, Austin Forkner didn't have a great year, started to come on. But just a lot of those guys, I, I like to see now that they get to go back home, completely reset, take some time off, go back to the drawing board and almost start over. You just, you know, if you had a bad 2021, just forget it. It's done. It's in the past. And you can approach 2022 with a, a clean slate. You don't have any results to go off of. And you can really try to rewrite chapters uh, that maybe you don't want to think about anymore. So, um, you know, I think everybody racing wise is probably a little burnout. It's just a long year of racing and having hot races at the end doesn't help. It just really adds to the, the fatigue level for everybody. And this time is, is really critical that they can just stop thinking about dirt bikes for like a month, you know, and, and that doesn't, that doesn't happen a lot in our sport, you know, and they won't, they won't completely not think about it. It's impossible. It's so ingrained in their daily life and their habits and, and rituals, but it is nice to wake up and be able to think about something else. And you can go have fun. You can go on the boat. You can do whatever you want, right? If you want to go to Mexico, just go live a normal life for a few weeks is a really great opportunity for all those guys. And, and I remember very vividly uh, my thoughts and my feelings at, you know, this week and this time, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, right after the last national sleep in, you just don't have all these responsibilities that you need to worry about for the next short term time frame. And it's, you know, for all of you listening and most people that for myself too, in my, in my life now, you wake up and you have a real job and you have all these things that are coming at you and you have to sort out. As a racer, your life is very straightforward. You don't have a lot of complications outside of racing, or for most people anyway. Um, that's by design. They have people around them that will handle that kind of stuff. Like they're not waking up thinking like, ah, crap, I got to pay the power bill and I got to do this and that and all these things like that these guys will really do everything in their power to eliminate that stuff. They have their wife to do it, uh, riding coaches, handlers, whatever the term is for it, they have help. So at a time like this, where all of that focus on racing isn't necessarily right in your face, you know, it's not prominent because you have this time off, it's really relaxing. I mean, you can really unwind a little bit because now you have nothing on your plate you know, like literally nothing. You can just be in the moment and fully relax and not think about things. So it's a, it's a cool time for these guys and uh, much deserved and much needed for, for several, I'm sure. So 450 class, Dylan Frannis, what else can you say? I mean, he has just been phenomenal 
all summer long. Came off a pretty rough Supercross season. Uh, riding form was great. Results were not. And then he just caught fire. I mean, he really took the series by storm. You know, he and Kenny were, you know, trying to determine who was the alpha in this series for several weeks early on. But then you could just feel Kenny struggling a bit. And Dylan really just kind of took the series. I don't know. I, I struggle with how it went down because I think the Millville first turn crash changed everything. Like it changed the feel of it. It really put the series out of reach. But I also think that Dylan was establishing himself as the best guy before that. You know, I don't think the series would have been clinched at Paula without that crash. I think that's pretty easy to, to ascertain. But I think Dylan still wins the series fairly easily. I just think, you know, especially when you have three or four hot races to end the series, I think Dylan just proved that he's able to handle the, the conditions and really hot days better than Kenny is. And, and we've beaten that horse to death with Kenny and, and temperature and conditions and all that stuff. So I won't go through it again, uh, but I'm more just celebrating how great Dylan Ferrandis was. And this championship was absolutely deserved. No one can or should have anything to say in detractment of Dylan Ferrandis this season. He beat the best guys. Tomac was out there. Roxon was out there. Sexton was out. I mean, anybody you wanted to say had a chance at this thing, Ferrandis went through and over them to get this championship, and he was simply the best guy, period. And I like when the best guy wins the championship. I, I just I think that's how life should go. you know. And it doesn't always happen that way. Guys get hurt. You could even say that was the case for Jeremy Martin this, this series and I, for the 250, and I wouldn't necessarily argue, but you have to stay healthy. That's a huge part of it too. Uh, but for Ferrandis, I mean, this is just how you draw it up. This was per- a perfectly diagrammed season, uh, and maybe not, maybe not the last one for him. Eli Tomac, uh, I mean, nice series. You know, he finishes on a high note for Monster Energy Kawasaki. He gets into second place in points with, uh, you know, Kenny's DNF in the final moto. I'm more curious to see where we go from here. You know, he, he really has nothing to prove to anyone, yet he's still making this huge move to Monster Star Yamaha. So I don't know what to expect. I'm sure he'll be good, right? But is he the same? Is he better? Is he worse? I would say it's anybody's guess. You know, the bike at Yamaha looks really good now, so maybe that's a step forward. And maybe it's just the change of scenery and the motivation that propels him to be better. That can happen too. It doesn't have to be, you know, the bike could be a sideways move. Better in some areas, not so good in others. Like that, that's a pretty typical trade-off between factory bikes is they're going to have differing strengths and weaknesses. That's almost always the case is that a bike will be better in one area and worse in another because, you know, when the engineers at these OEMs build the bikes, they're going for certain traits and characteristics, and that's not always the same from factory to factory. Um, so we'll see how he looks on that Yamaha, but I think just the, the different and him being happier for whatever reason, clearly he wasn't wanting to stay at Kawasaki. I know he got a great offer to stay and turned it down. Um, I was even told that he got paid less to go to Yamaha. So, I mean, that is pretty obvious that he wanted to make a change. So maybe that's enough. Maybe that's simply enough him being happy, uh, on a new team in a, you know, just around new people and, and getting it to hit the reset button will be enough to get him back to the form he was on, you know, 2019, 2020,
because I haven't really seen the same guy consistently. I've seen glimpses of it. We've seen flashes, but not week in and week out. Um, so that's kind of what I'll be looking for from him. Cooper Webb, he got better as the series went, no doubt. You know, they made that frame change, which he talked about, which is not a big deal. They just removed something that they had previously added. Um, everybody calm down. It's not a huge deal. It just adds a little bit more flex, which the production frame was going for. You know, that's what, that's why that gusset on the cradle doesn't come on the production frame is because they, the OEM wants it to flex. The factory team felt, and I'm sure in race testing, they felt that it would work better without that flex in there, but it seems like Webb wanted it. So on, or excuse me, off the gusset came. I think next year is a huge year for Cooper Webb. With him leaving the Baker's factory, I don't want to say he's backed himself into a corner because I don't, I think that's overstating it, but he has put a lot of pressure on himself to deliver results in 2022. KTM wants him at Baker's factory. They are part owners of that program. They believe in it. They invested a ton of money into Alden Baker's program for a reason. They want their guys there, period. End of story, full stop. That's why they're there. They want their Supercross champion training there. That's not up for debate. Now, Cooper Webb has gotten his way and he got to leave but I think he's also put so much pressure on himself because immediately if he doesn't perform say Supercross doesn't go extremely well next year and it may or may not we don't know but if he doesn't win it's such an easy thing to point to and they will everybody will KTM will I don't know how Red Bull feels about any of this so I won't say Red Bull but everybody involved and morons like me you know Mathis, everybody, we're going to immediately start posing questions. Did the change in training programs, is that the reason he's not winning, right? So his only recourse to avoid those questions is to go out and win, and he knows that. I, I have spoken to people close to him. He is fully aware that he's going to have to go win, or this, this will be viewed as a bad decision by him. Doesn't matter if he's not happy. Doesn't matter if he was debating quitting racing over it. Like, I just don't think he was happy in that program anymore. He needed a change. That's why he did it. The problem is the people that pay him and the people that are expecting results and all the fans that are judging him by his results, they don't care that he was unhappy. They do not care. They're only going to judge you were a champion in 19, you were a champion in 21, you changed your training program, <clears throat> now you're taking a step back. That's all they care about. That's all they're going to say. That's, I'm going to try to add more layers to it than that. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a pass-fail situation for a lot of people. And that's just a lot of pressure that I don't know he deserves. But again, he has on some level asked for this level of pressure by deciding to leave. Because if he stays and he doesn't win next year, I think everybody just kind of shrugs their shoulders and says, yeah, <clears throat> you know, he's, he won the championship last year, can't win it every year, so what? But when you make this fundamental shift in your training program, you go away from a program that has decades now of success. You just look through the years of Carmichael and Stewart and Villapoto and Dungey and Cooper Webb and just championship after championship after championship there's a lot of proof there. There's a lot of evidence that the program works. Zach Osborne, outdoor championship. Like 
no matter if you're happy, no matter if you hate every second of being there, the evidence is a really compelling argument for anyone who wants to be a detractor, anyone who's looking for an angle to say, see, look, he left, now he's not winning anymore. He's not taking it as seriously. He's not as dedicated. You don't have the discipline that you had. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying anyone who's looking for that angle, they're going to want that angle. Maybe they don't like Webb. Maybe they, uh, who, whatever. It doesn't matter. Even if they're just completely neutral and objective, that's just going to be such an easy take to make. There's just going to be wide open. The door for that is just going to be wide open. So we'll see. We'll see how Webb responds, but I think he will be forced to work hard like, because I, that's a lot of pressure. Like you, you making that decision, you getting your way over KTM's brass that really doesn't want you to do this. And you have to understand that they don't like this at all. They are really not happy behind the scenes that he is leaving that program because they invested there. They are financially involved in that program for a reason. They want their guys there. They believe in it. They know success comes out of that. And now their marquee guy is leaving. Uh, so anyway, very long-winded on that. I just think it's a huge story to watch going into 2022. Uh, I do want to make an apology to Christian Craig. Last week, um, I did the power rankings and I completely forgot him. It was not intentional. Christian has been riding exceptionally well this summer. Absolutely deserved to be in the power rankings. I was in a hurry. And, uh, yeah, just totally forgot him. And in that second moto this weekend, I, I thought he was going to go win. I really did. I was watching with a bunch of my friends and I'm like, the way this class is, the depth isn't there. No one wants to be out there. I don't think it's the second moto and the last moto, last race of the year. It's crazy hot. I think these guys are going to be cruising to a certain extent. If he really makes a break for it early, he could get away and they could just shrug their shoulders and he wins. It didn't go that way. I was wrong, but uh, I just thought he had a real opportunity there. He still had a good day. No problem. What do you get? Fourth or fifth overall or whatever. Still a really good day. I think he proved that he is a legitimate 450 top 10 guy. It doesn't matter if the class is weak or stacked. He's that good. So uh, really nice guy. I'm really good friends with his friend, Connor Fields. And yeah, I just, I wanted to apologize for that. That's my fault. It wasn't, uh, wasn't anything other than me being in a hurry. So a uh, nice ride for, for CC. He goes back down to the 250 Supercross class next year and then back up to the 450 class for motocross again next year. So a, a mirror image of what he did this year. And I think he'll go into Supercross as one of the favorites, if not the favorite. You remember how good he was at the beginning of that series and then he gets the injury. He's, he's only, only, what, eight points down or something at the, for the finale and uh, gets injured in practice. So... It's easy to forget how damn good um, CC was, and, and he gave Colt Nichols all he wanted for that entire series. Uh, just a note on the class. I mean, it was really, really decimated. Uh, the 450 class was at the end of the end of the year, and I just saw comments on on social about it, you know how weak it was, and these guys are getting top tens and top fifteens and top twenties that you know they're they're saying they shouldn't be. I say, who cares? Honestly, um, you know, a lot of these privateers, and I've had this take really all year, a lot of these privateers are not making a lot of money, if any. I mean, they're just getting by. They're just paying for their expenses and for them to show up to a race, have an opportunity f- to put their bike inside the top 15. Look at Ryan Surratt. He goes 8-8. He'll never forget that. 
he will never in his life forget that Saturday when he went 8-8 at Hangtown. Trust me, I know from experience, that will be a day he'll remember for the rest of his life. So I don't care if the class is weak. I don't care if everybody's hurt or not. For a guy like Ryan Surratt, who's, listen, these guys aren't getting rich. They're, they're, you probably make more money at your job than they do in an entire year gross. That's just the state of the sport. That's just the problem with being a privateer. There's just not a ton of money out there. Um, so for him, if he gets contingency, if he has any bonus programs uh, with his sponsors, he probably actually made some money on Saturday. And that's awesome. A top 10, like, I don't know if Husky has contingency or what, but there's, that's good money for a lot of these programs inside the top 10. And, and I love to see it. I don't care. You can, you know, you could say it, if that was Paula, the first round of Paula, he wouldn't have been anywhere near that. Fine. Whatever. Doesn't matter to me. I'm just excited to see these guys get some results. They're going to have these results forever. They can put them on their resume. They're never going away. Can't take them away from them. Doesn't matter. You can only race who shows up. You don't get to control who's hurt and who's sitting out and who has COVID and whatever. That is not up to you as a racer to decide. You just show up on Saturday and put your best foot forward. And if the result is a top 10 or a top 15, good for you. That's all you can really do. Uh, so no uh, power rankings this week. Um, I, I just didn't. So many guys that I would want to put in there were hurt. I'm just leaving them off this week. I just wanted to cover some of the key guys. I do want to mention a few of the sponsors, though. Pirelli Tires has that new range of Scorpion MX32 Midsoft Mini Tires. They sponsor all these privateer guys, too. All, you know, these guys that are running around, Cody Shocks and all these guys, they are big, big supporters of the, the privateers and always have been. So give those guys a look. Guts Racing, check out that RJ Wide Wing seat. Uh, Ruckstar Husky Graphics, Andy, Andy and the crew over there do a great job. Super professional. And, uh, yeah, if you need graphics, you need a new seat, you need anything like that, go to GutsRacing.com. Plum Creek Funding, get your house refinanced ASAP. These interest rates are going up. The Fed is, is already hinting about it. They're talking about it. They haven't announced a date yet, but I promise you it's coming. Um, if you know anything about the, how the Fed works, they kind of preheat the oven, right? They don't want to shock markets, so they hint at it, and they hint at it. They tell you you're talking about it. They say that they're you know looking at timelines, and, and they do this uh, plot dot thing and all this stuff. It's coming. It is absolutely coming uh, sooner than later too. So if you're looking to buy a house, if you're looking to refi, reach out to Zach Morris at Plum Creek Funding and see what kind of deal he can get you. Fast Foundry, get your business, your startup, your, it doesn't matter if you're Fortune 500, right? They can help any size business get more efficient. You wanna do some sort of virtual event, they're great at that. You just want help with your, you know, learning how to use Excel better to make your payroll more efficient. They can help you with that. So reach out to, Robert Carrico at Fast Foundry and see exactly how they can help you. Works Connection, Pro on Start Devices just ripping hole shots as usual. Ken Roxon gets to start again. He's just hauling ASS on that first lap. Uh, you look at so many of these teams, Monster Star Yamaha, they hole shot almost every single time. These guys all use the Pro on Start device for a reason. My favorite thing about it is I am not mechanically inclined. My dad is an actual motorcycle mechanic. I didn't get any of those skills. I don't know what happened there, but I didn't get any of them. It's probably much to his dismay. But for a Works Connection Pro Launch Start device, it's easy to put together. Even a moron like myself could do it. Where a lot of these competitor products, 
they are, it's like an erector set, like you need instructions and you need to be very skilled to do something like that. And I, it would probably eliminate me. Like I wouldn't even be able to do it just cause I don't have the skill set for it, but a works connection when it's super simple. And that's probably my favorite part about it. Blends all check out that ultra TPI, uh, brand new. Uh, and you can go see their full catalog, go to blendsall.com, go to at blends on their Instagram. They sponsor a ton of riders out there. Uh, and, and they have been one of the most proactive companies in the industry. And that's, as you guys know, if you listen, that's really close to my heart is these companies that are really trying to get aggressive and gain market share and get in front of consumers. Um, I just see so many complacent companies out there and I don't, I don't think Blenzol falls into that category whatsoever. They're the antithesis of that. And uh, I appreciate that. Premier Vapor Blasting mentioned the podcast for a discount. They are the preeminent company for vapor blasting. They do incredible work. You can go check out their Instagram at premier vapor blasting and see what I'm talking about. 612 suspension, also a race tech affiliate. They get all the quality parts and products from race tech. They do quality work. Doesn't matter what kind of product you have either. Any kind of power sports, street bike, dirt bike, off-road, side-by-side, whatever. If it has some sort of shock absorber, uh, 612 suspension can make it better. Pro glow, check out their pro glow wash. And that's a product that I use. Um, I, I washed, uh, actually washed my street bike with it yesterday and it just works really well. It is formulated for power sports. So like road grime, chain lube, all those types of things. It's just going to get that stuff off much easier. It's not an off the shelf, you know, Walgreens type product. It's specifically formulated for stuff we do as enthusiasts and as motorcycle people. And again, if you know, we're, we all kind of fall into the same boat, we want to support motorcycle companies, right? We're kind of all in this thing together. We are our own little cult of people that ride dirt bikes and street bikes and all that stuff. And, and I believe that I think we are all like-minded people and I like supporting like-minded companies. So check out ProGlow. They do have a promo code. It is Moto15 and you can save yourself some money at checkout. Fly Racing. I'm actually at the office right this second and you can go to flyracing.com. You can go to at flyracingusa and check out the 2022 lineup. And last but not least, Grant Stone Boots. Got to wear my Grant Stones last night, went to dinner. Could not recommend them any more than I am right this second. Go to at Grant Stone on Instagram and grantstoneboot.com. Check out their incredible lineup of products. They have belts, boots, uh, loafers, low tops, high tops. I mean, anything and everything you could want for whatever your application or taste or style might be. Uh, They just have such a crazy cool lineup these days. So check all those companies out. I appreciate them being on board. I do want to talk about MotoGP a little bit before we uh, finish this podcast. Man, Marquez, he had such an opportunity there. And he tried, right? The whole last, like, three laps, he was giving it everything he had. And he just kept (laughs) – he would, like, run it in a little bit too deep and uh, Pecco would kind of undercut him. And, man, it was a great race, though. I firmly believe, though, if that's prime Mark Marquez, he wins that easily. I still think he's rusty. I still think he's a little bit just not full strength, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, You know, you go back to when he was at his best, I think he would have dispatched Pecco no problem, maybe much earlier than he did, and probably just cruised to a win. Even if he couldn't have done that, I think he just would have outdueled Pecco, you know, Pecco Bagnai is who I'm talking about. And he's really young, right? Inexperienced. 
And for him to be able to hold on to that win, I just think speaks to where Mark is still working through his comeback. And I also wonder where the bike is in this progression. You know, I don't think they've really did a good job of developing that bike in Mark's absence. We've seen how much he struggled in his comeback. And I think it's both due to Mark being hurt and not his best. And also just the bike kind of taking steps back or maybe not even steps back, but it didn't progress at the same pace that the other bikes have. And I think that's been pretty noticeable this year and last year too. You know, uh, those guys that were on it last year didn't seem like they had uh, just the performance that a lot of the other bikes had. So I don't know enough about development for those bikes to say yes or no. Um, but just on the surface, that's kind of what I see. And the, and the people that I talk to that do know a lot, they've kind of hinted at that as well, is that the Honda just hasn't gotten better where a lot of the other bikes they're up against have. Peko Bagnaya, I, I touched on briefly, but he deserves a ton of credit. To out Fox, Mark Marquez on the last lap or two is not something that happens very often for anyone. Uh, this is one of the most talented, cunning uh, smartest when it comes to racecraft racers that I've ever seen in any discipline. Uh, so it, it spoke volumes for Bagnaya to get that win. And it's something he'll probably always remember is that race with, um, with Marquez because Mark Marquez will, is going to go down as one of the best ever, if not the best ever, right? We'll see how long his career goes for and where it goes from here. But I mean, he's eight time world champion already. And I think anybody who's going to argue that Marquez is not one of the best ever is fooling themselves. Uh, I did want to make a note on Aprilia. So Maverick Vinales makes his debut and it didn't go well. Uh, really, really bad. <laughs> that's, that's horrible vocabulary. Uh, but he was just so far off the pace. He was running around outside of the points. Uh, it just was not a good showing. But then you look at Alicia Spargaro battling for a podium all day and you wonder, is that just... Oesh being so much more familiar with the bike, like setup and trusting it. Because I don't think you, you, you can't convince me that Oesh is much better rider than Maverick. I just, I won't buy that. I do not believe that. Uh, so you, it just has to be a familiarity thing. You know, Oesh has been on that bike for a couple of years and tested endlessly where Maverick just rode it what, once or twice and then hopped on it for a race. So I'm going to chalk it up to a learning experience for Maverick and I'm sure he gets better, but that had to be pretty disheartening for him. I mean, he wasn't even close to the pace. He wasn't even able to battle with guys that I don't really consider on his level, talent-wise. So they got a lot of work to do. That, that's the, the long and the short of it. Uh, Fabio Cartararo, not a good day. Uh, you don't see him going backwards very often, but it seemed like it was more of a Yamaha thing. You look at basically anybody and everybody on a Yamaha, and it wasn't going well. And that's just the crazy thing about MotoGP for those of you at home that don't or haven't watched MotoGP, maybe I've convinced you to try it. The bikes at certain tracks are insurmountable at times. Um, the, the challenges that a track can present to a certain bike is too much for a good result to come. And these guys are pretty open about it at times. They'll go into a press conference on Thursday before they even ride and say, yeah, this weekend's going to suck. Our bike will not be good here. It's never been good here, and we're going to struggle all weekend. I've heard it a hundred times, and they know that the bike is just not built to do well. For instance, uh, you know, the Hondas for years have been really nimble, 
they are really good uh, accelerating out of the corners. Like they basically want to get turned and out of there and they will accelerate really well. And that's what Marquez would kill everyone at tracks like Soxen Ring, uh, Austin, Texas. He almost unbeatable on tracks like that because it works well with what the bike does. You go to these other tracks where there's a ton of corner momentum or I guess a really high corner, corner speed, right? So you basically need to be able to carry really high speeds through really fast corners is a better way to put it. The Yamaha does that extremely well. They have always done that well. And it comes down to how the engineers are developing the chassis. And they just kind of always end up in the same place because the same guys are building the same chassis and going for the same characteristics. So some of these tracks, the Yamahas will be almost unbeatable. You see Fabio just run away from the pack. And then you see other tracks like this weekend where the Yamaha just couldn't get it done. They just, it was, they were slower all day. The race pace was nowhere near good enough. And you just have to grin and bear it on days like today or days like Sunday where the Ducati was obviously awesome. You saw Jack Miller and Pecco and all these guys were really fast all weekend. That track just worked for the Ducati. You go to a track like Qatar, it's arguably the fastest track of the year. The Ducati's the fastest bike on the grid. The Ducati always does well there. You know, you look at Divisioso, he was really difficult to beat at Qatar because the bike was so fast in a straight line. He could just blow past anybody on the racetrack. You pass him mid lap, he'll blow, pack, blow back past you on the, the start, uh, the back straightaway or whatever it is, that really long straightaway. So uh, it's just a really different dynamic than motocross where riders can usually overcome or change the bike enough to adapt to a track. Not so much in MotoGP. Uh, there are just certain tracks where you're going to be super strong or you can be really, really poor uh, based on your bike. And there's not much you can do. I don't think the teams get upset about it or too worried about it because they know just as much as the riders do, there's nothing they can really do about it. So that was it kind of for MotoGP. Uh, this is Fabio's title to lose. It's pretty much done. He still has like a 50 plus point lead and uh, I don't see anybody consistent enough or dominant enough to do anything about it. Um, I think he's just going to bring this thing home with several more wins. I do think Marquez will win some races here. I think the door is wide open for him to steal a few wins, but uh, this will be a Fabio Quartararo MotoGP championship. So I head to Rome on Wednesday. I uh, will land there Thursday, spend the day in Rome, and then go to Sardinia on Friday. And then, yeah, I'll be there for uh, EMX on Saturday and then the race on Sunday. But looking forward to it. I've never been to Sardinia. And um, yeah, it's an island off, just off the coast of Italy. For those of you who are not uh, as geographically uh, up to speed as maybe others. So it'll be an interesting trip. Um, looking forward to getting back over there. I was in Italy in July for uh, Majora. And um, yeah, I was supposed to go to Finland. Canceled. Supposed to go to Sweden. Canceled. Almost went to Latvia, but it was last minute. And uh, I kind of just wanted to be home. So I am looking forward to it. It should be a fun trip. I will stay back for Motocross of Nations. Uh, as of right now, Steve Mathis is still planning to meet me over there, and we will take in that event. Even though it's watered down, we get it, right? Not going to have guys like Geyser and Team USA's out. Um, a lot of guys are skipping this race, but I still think it's going to be fun. I think it'll be a great weekend of kind of hanging out with the, the MXGP crew. I think a lot of the guys that aren't racing will still go. Uh, they will be there hanging out. So that'll be cool to kind of bro down with those guys and um, should just be a really fun weekend. I won't have to be stressing about how Team USA does, but 
Uh, I think it'll be a low-key, much more low-key event than we're used to for Motocross the Nations, but should still be fun. So I will be doing uh, this podcast from Italy next Monday. I doubt I'll record it after, uh, after MXGP, uh, maybe, but uh, likely would be uh, recording on Monday. And I do, uh, for those of you who are interested, I do a Patreon podcast uh, the morning of every event. So next Sunday morning for MXGP, I would do one. I did one every outdoor, every Supercross. And you can go to patreon.com slash industry seating to sign up for that. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of a preview, what I think is going to happen that morning, weather, fantasy, all kinds of things going on there. So check that out. Thank you to all the sponsors of this podcast. Could not do it without you. And we will talk to you next week. See you.